Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Today we're continuing the series for Easter called The Resurrection. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 22, as Dr. Newfeld presents a message entitled The Believer's Hope. What happens at the point of death? Interestingly enough, there are only a few options, and as far as I can tell, there are only four. For the atheist, the answer is an eternal non-existence that forever ends all hopes, dreams, and consciousness. Boy, that sounds exciting. If you're an atheist and over 45, let me tell you, your best days are behind you, and every day becomes worse than the ones that once attended you until it all ends in blackness. No good news there. A second option is called the transmigration of souls. The idea is that you just keep getting recycled into a number of different life forms until eventually you lose your own individual identity and are absorbed into that one great reality. The story is told of a man who called his friend on a phone from the other side two years after his death. His friend said, how are you doing and what's it like where you are? And the guy said, well, the scenery's beautiful. I run free. The air's clean. Food is free. I can pretty well do anything I want, but people are trying to shoot me. His friend said, are you kidding? Is that what heaven's like? And the guy said, what heaven? I'm a moose in Prince George. You see, the idea of the transmigration of souls when you die, you continue to exist, but the form of your existence changes. This gives no assurance of how you're going to live, whether you'll be identified with who you are now, only that your life force is going to carry on. At death, all your relationships are broken forever, your friends and family are forever lost, your past memories are erased, and your sense of self is forever altered. Many Hindus think that this is a curse and hope for the day that their individual identity is lost, even as a drop of water is lost when it enters the ocean. If this is life after death, in some ways, death for this person is the same as death for an atheist. Yourself is lost, and darkness forever claims your hopes, your dreams, and your individual identity. A third option is the option of the ancient Greeks. This is called dualism. Dualism considered everything spiritual to be good and everything physical or material to be bad. Some ancient dualists actually believed in two different creators, one who created pure spirit, and this creator was infinitely good, and the other creator created physical matter, and this creator was evil and malevolent. For the dualists, the body was considered the prison house for the soul, and a wonderful thing happened to death. The soul, or the spirit, was released from the shackles of the body. The idea of bodily existence after death was repugnant to them, and so life after death consisted of being freed from all material things in which there is pure spiritual existence, free from all that is human and earthly. Again, in this view, death means the end of the unique existence of bodily life, as we now live is forever lost to death. Now, might I interject here and point out that there are a great many Christians who actually think the way the Greeks did, and more so, they actually think that's what the Bible teaches. You know, some time ago, I was at a graveside service, and there the pastor said of the body, you know, these are just the working clothes as if this body is to be abandoned before we get the real, genuine, ideal form of life. You know, in utter shock, I looked around, and I heard people muttering, amen. You know, a final option that happens at death is the view that's found in the Bible. Listen to the words of Job in Job 19, verse 26. 
and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Another translation says, after my body has been decayed, yet in my body I will see God. In other words, the Bible gives the hope that the skin, the flesh, and the bones, the body will live again. Now, we've been studying 1 Corinthians 15. It's a unique passage of Scripture which deals with the resurrection of the dead. And we have noted that this doctrine gave some of the believers in Corinth a lot of problems, and because there were some who denied the resurrection, others simply because they heard someone claim something like that in a loud voice and an assured voice began to doubt it as well. So I'm reading 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, this passage has been misunderstood in the present day. Because for many in Western culture, there are only two options. Option one is when we die, there is no existence. There's just an endless cessation of all consciousness. And option two for them is when we die, we experience life after death. So many of us have not considered any more options than that. And so, given that we don't understand the culture of the ancient Greeks, many modern readers come to the conclusion that there were those among the Christians in Corinth who didn't believe in life after death. They were like the atheists of today, or perhaps like the ancient Greek Epicurean philosophers, who believed that the soul cannot live without the body. But I don't think that was the issue. Most Greeks believed in life after death, and I'm assured that the believers in Corinth all believed in life after death. I think they disbelieved the resurrection. So by resurrection is not meant life after death, for that's assumed. What's meant by resurrection is the resurrection of the human body. It means that the life to come will include a real, physical, fully human body. So for many Greeks, the idea of a resurrected body was a repugnant idea simply because they believed that the body itself was evil. But Christians believe that when God created the world, and by the way, our own physical bodies, he said, it is good. An evil deity did not create the world. A good and benevolent God created the physical universe for his glory. And after having created, he said, and it was good. Now, of course, the world has fallen into sin, and nature itself has become subject to the curse, but that doesn't mean that physical things are bad in and of themselves. Nature, life, the outworking of a physical order undergirded by God's scientific principles, all this is thought of in the Bible as something to be celebrated and certainly something to give thanks to God for. By the way, might I also add, and for that reason, Christians involved in science can do so to the glory of God. What seems likely then is because of their Greek background, these believers could not accept the teaching of the resurrection of the body. So what's the big deal? So what if someone thinks that the life to come is just spiritual and not physical? I mean, this can't be an issue around our salvation, or can it? It seems like such a minor point, that is, the exact nature of life after death. And besides, I guess when we die, we'll be clear on the concept then. I mean, why argue about it now? And yet, Paul in this passage makes it such a big deal. So let's read our text, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 
we were even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So why is the resurrection of the body so important? From what we have read and to the end of verse 22, which we're going to discuss tomorrow, we would see that Paul answers this question in two ways. First, he answers it negatively. What if it were true, he asked, that there was no physical bodily resurrection? What if the life to come were only spiritual and not physical? What then? And then secondly, he answers the question positively. If there really is a resurrection of the body, what then? As I said, that question I'm going to leave to the next study. So then let's do what Paul does. Let's see why this is such a big deal. Paul answers by telling us seven reasons why the bodily resurrection from the dead is such a big deal. And I will discuss six of those reasons today and leave the seventh one for our next study. And so first, if there is no resurrection, then Christ's own body now lies rotting in the grave. See, that's what Paul says in verse 13. If there is no bodily resurrection, then not even Christ was raised. And that is basic logic. If dead human bodies are not raised then Christ's dead body lies rotting in the grave. If the Greeks are right, that the body cannot survive death, then Christ's body also did not survive death. But consider the evidence. The disciples have gathered in the upper room after the crucifixion of Jesus. Some of them claim that they've seen Jesus and they are animated in the discussion. And suddenly Jesus is standing among them and they're startled. And at that moment, they're not sure what it is that they're looking at. Some of them, says the text, thought they were seeing a ghost. And so for all believers, isn't that the real question? What were they looking at? Were they looking at a spiritual form of Christ or were they looking at a real resurrected physical body? And that is no insignificant question. What a great response to the release of our first few episodes of Truth and Life Today videocast. Questions are arriving daily to add to the list. Questions regarding the work of the Holy Spirit, heaven and hell, marriage, questions specific and general regarding the Bible and Christian life. Your question could be next. All you need to do is join us online at backtothebible.ca and click on the Truth and Life Today link. Ask your question or listen to the current or any of the past episodes. Every week, join Dr. John Newfeld and explore the Bible together. New episodes of Truth and Life Today can be seen every Tuesday online on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel, on our mobile app, or Facebook. For more information or to offer a gift to support all the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Some of the disciples, when seeing Jesus standing among them, thought they were seeing a spirit, the very thing the Greeks talked about, a life after death that was purely spirit. And then Jesus speaks to them, and it's recorded in Luke 24, verses 38 and 39. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. 
In fact, that is the Christian claim. The tomb is not only empty, but it still contains his grave clothes, meaning he took them off physically or bodily and bodily stepped out of the tomb. Thomas the doubter physically examined Jesus' hands inside. They ate with him. These are all physical, bodily, human, and understandable things. But if there is no bodily resurrection, then these events did not occur. Then the story of the resurrection is false. That's the first point. This follows logically to a second point. If the bodily resurrection of Jesus did not happen, then the preaching of the gospel is worthless. That's what Paul argues in verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and so is your faith. And that's crucial because of the nature of the gospel. The very heart of the gospel is the declaration of the death, burial, and bodily resurrection of Jesus. We call these core beliefs in the Christian faith. But if Christ has not been raised, then these core beliefs are a delusion. You see, the gospel claims that because of the bodily resurrection, physical death itself has been defeated. It's the gospel's triumphant cry. But there is no triumphant cry if Christ was not raised. Then the entire gospel is simply, well, rubbish. That leads to the third point. If Christ was not raised bodily, well, then first, then Christ's body lies rotting in the grave. And second, preaching of the gospel is worthless. And third, the apostles are misrepresenting God. That's the point of verse 15. The central message of the apostles was that Jesus, whom you crucified, is raised to life. But if Christ is not raised, then the eyewitness accounts are, in fact, the work of charlatans and liars. And that would conclude that Peter, the twelve, the 500 that Paul mentions who all saw Jesus at the same time, James and himself, were all liars. Now, if Christ was not raised, all these people are not just liars. They're actually the worst kind of liars, and here's why. Notice the word in verse 15. It's the word testified. It's a legal word. Imagine that word in our legal system. A witness is called to the front. They're asked to raise their right hand and take upon themselves an oath. They tell the court that the evidence they are about to give is true. And with that, they bind themselves in such a way that if they are lying or in some way distorting the truth, they are subject to criminal prosecution. Now, Paul says, we apostles have been speaking on behalf of God. We have been bound by an oath to speak accurately of him. But then we haven't if Christ was not raised. We looked you, the Corinthians, in the eye. We told you that we were compelled by God, but we weren't. You trusted us to tell the truth, but we didn't just lie to you. We had absolutely no fear of God. We bold-facedly lied about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if Christ was not bodily raised, these men, the entire apostolic witness, is not the product of their faith. Rather, if Christ is not bodily raised, then the apostles are among the worst kind of liars, unlike a man who steals all your money. These men have lied to steal your soul and did it in the courtroom of God. We call that in our day psychopath because it's someone who has no conscience at all. Now, we're getting quite a list. If Christ was not raised bodily, then one, Christ's body is in the tomb. Two, the gospel is worthless. Three, the, the apostles are psychopathic liars. And now, the fourth conclusion. If Christ was not bodily raised, then the connection between our resurrection and Christ's resurrection is broken. That's what Paul argues in verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. See, at first glance, that simply looks like a way of repeating verse 12, and in many ways it is. But here, Paul wants to draw the connection between the empty tomb and the believer's hope. 
The believer's hope is that Christ's resurrection is the exact picture of what they expect to happen to themselves as well. As Christ was raised bodily, so also shall I be raised bodily. But if that did not happen to Christ, my hope can no longer be placed in Christ. And that would lead to a fifth conclusion. If Christ was not bodily raised, then the substitutionary death of Jesus would be meaningless. And that's Paul's argument in verse 17. There he says our faith would be futile and we would still be in our sins. Let me stop here for a moment and point something out. Remember that at the beginning of this address, I made a point which I've not yet proven. I said that the Corinthian problem was not that they didn't expect life after death. I said their problem is that they didn't expect a bodily resurrection. Now, you might have wondered, how does he get to know that? What if they simply disbelieved in life after death? What if they just thought that death meant that they'd stop existing? Well, if that's what they thought, well, verse 17 wouldn't make sense. If you just stop existing, who cares if you're still in your sins? In fact, that's what a great many people are counting on. They believe that there will be no final day of judgment when every single careless word and thought is closely examined and shown for what it is. For them, death is a release. That's why some people commit suicide. They think, This will end all my troubles. They haven't considered the possibility that suicide will introduce them to troubles they've never considered before. See, one of my profs when I was working on my doctorate was a man named Dallas Willard who who used to teach spiritual disciplines. Dr. Willard also taught philosophy at the University of Southern California. It's a secular university. And he would sometimes challenge his non-Christian students by asking them, what if it were not possible to cease to exist? And often his students would answer and say, it's the most terrifying thought that I can imagine. Indeed, it is life after death that leads us to the idea of a recompense or an accounting, an impossibility of running away from this life, running away from the kind of life that I live now. And indeed, it's impossible for us to run away from our sins. Now, just to be clear, I'm not arguing that there is something inherent in the human condition that goes on for eternity. See, I would argue that it is possible to cease to exist. For we, that is, we as human beings, are what is called contingent beings. We exist because of something outside of ourselves. That is, our existence is contingent on factors outside of ourselves. And so one of the immediate reasons for our existence was directly dependent upon or contingent on our own parents meeting each other and producing, well, us. But, of course, that contingent reason is only the immediate contingent reason. The reason we had parents, or for that matter, the reason that there's life or matter or physical reality, it's contingent on God. And so the reason I believe that we will continue to exist after death is not because I am by nature an eternal being, but the reason I believe I'm going to continue to exist after death is that God has determined that I should. Our eternal existence is contingent on him. But that's an aside. We will exist after our physical death because God has determined that it should be that way. But 1 Corinthians, Paul assumes that all of his writers already believe in life after death, but they don't believe in the resurrection of the body. And here's what he says. If there is no resurrection of the body, Christ was not raised The gospel is worthless. The apostles are the worst kind of liars. The connection between us and Christ has been broken. And Christ's death cannot take care of our sin problem. 
And that's simply because the physical resurrection of Jesus is all we have to prove that Christ really did die for our sins. I mean, outside of that, there's no way to prove that Christ's death covers our sins. And that leads Paul to his sixth conclusion. If there is no bodily resurrection of Jesus, then all believers are eternally lost, and that's what he argues in verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Since God justly punishes all for their sins, Christ, having been a charlatan, would have been unable to save them. Your loved ones who have trusted in Christ have trusted in no good effect. Their sins count against them. The bar of justice awaits them, and no promise of forgiveness will save them. Have you ever marveled at what Christ gave you when he rose from the dead? Have you ever marveled at how Easter has changed everything and provided us with undying hope? Indeed, to put these matters the other way around, marvel at the list. Because Christ was raised bodily, we know the gospel is true. The apostles were accurate and faithful witnesses. Our resurrection is connected with Christ's resurrection. Our sins are forgiven. And when any believer falls asleep in death, they have hope. And that, my dear friend, is what you have received from God at Easter. John, you know, this subject comes up a lot. It's uh, about the resurrection of the physical body. In fact, we did a Truth and Life Today uh, segment uh, where we talked a lot about heaven and resurrection, and those questions came up. But resurrection of the physical body, that's, that's critical, isn't it? It really is, because everything in the gospel leads to that. I, I'm still overwhelmed at how often I'll have a conversation with someone who's been a Christian for years, and it will be, it will be like a revelation to them that, you mean we believe that the body is actually raised? So I think that we can't teach this enough because we are in union with Christ, and our union with Christ means that we will be raised as he was raised. So therefore, the life to come is you know, filled with all the physical aspects of life, and uh, we were created as physical beings, and uh, the very nature of the Scripture is such that it is contradictory to Greek thought. I mean, Greeks thought of, you know, spirit as pure good, but the scripture says God creating a good physical world, and God's not giving up on the physical world. So, you know, I I think there's great news for us. The life to come is so physical that we actually lose nothing when we pass away. And that's the good news, and that's the hope that we have in the gospel. And that is a great hope. Thanks so much, John. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. I attended the Quest Conference for Men in Ottawa last night and was blown away. Dr. Neufeld spoke and hit a bullseye with me. He most certainly has helped me on my journey to having a close, intimate relationship with God. Well, we're so encouraged by comments like these. And to know that the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada and the unique Bible teaching of Dr. Newfeld is making a difference. Speaking at a conference or the many other ministries like Back to the Bible, Laugh Again, In Doubt, Truth and Life Today, Back to the Bible Kids are only possible because of your gracious commitment. So please know that your investment in Back to the Bible Canada is both critical and deeply appreciated. 
To discover more about these ministries or available resources, or to offer a gift to sustain and grow the impact of these ministries, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.